0: Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today, and may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. So we're thankful to God today, amen? The question is, are we thankful enough? It seems to be popular today, and of course we turn to, and we celebrate it, and we enjoy such a beautiful time this morning. But I might say some things this morning that might get some people uncomfortable. Certainly has gotten me uncomfortable through the week as I make inventory of my life. And I ask the question, you see, because a lot of people, you know, they look at, they've told me many times, and you know, I'm a pastor, now a chaplain, and people look at you and they tell you, oh man, you know, you're a man of God and you're a godly man. But are we godly enough? Or maybe we're godly enough, but are we... Can we be more? Or maybe we look at our lives and we know that we're not like people outside that don't count God, people that even doubt the existence of God. And so we say, well, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm thankful enough. I'm godly enough. I believe enough in God and, and I serve God enough. But again, the question is, as we think and go Home and prepare for the trips that we're going to do and the celebration with the family. The question to the Christian today is: Yes, we're thankful, but and notice I use the word "but." But are we thankful enough? Or the preposition, I guess. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, because Jesus had it clear. And I want you to know one thing. I think today, and I've said it many times, and I think in my life, I keep thinking of this, that to be a Christian and to be following a follower of Christ seems to be popular today. But the truth of the matter is that Christianity in America, somehow, if if we really dissect it and if you and I begin to think about our Christian practices and the way we do Christian life... It's actually not 100% in tune with a scriptural Christianity, what the Bible says. I'm not talking about what's popular out there, what people, or, you know, the sermons that you hear on television or, or, or the big churches that, that go. Because, by the way, we seem to be impressed with numbers today, right? The more people come to the church, you know, the more uh, blessed we feel and the more we celebrate And bigger churches seems to get more people to come to because they got more space, they got more programs, they got more things that are going on, more things that do in the church. But I wanted to ask the question, is that the kind of Christianity that God, that Jesus paints in his ministry? The level of commitment that we see in our lives, and some, most of the time, and let let me, I mean, let me be honest with you, most of the time, the the level of commitment that we are willing to give to God, is that what God is seeking after? Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven, verse 44, we read it, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then Jesus goes into the costly peril too. He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold what? All that he had and bought it. Brothers and sisters, as we think of this Thanksgiving season and how thankful we are to God, the the Bible and Jesus and his ministry calls us. And what he's saying is that there is some something more that you and I must commit to God. In other words, God does not take second place. It's it's an all or nothing preposition. Amen? Okay, let's think about our lives, uh, you know, what we do. Christianity today, you know, Christianity today says it is good to go to church and if you go to church, you're a good attendant at least. <laughs> it's funny because now... Well, not funny, but it's sad, actually, that, that now the denomination the of the leaders are looking for us to begin to measure what's the health of the church. And there are three things that they want us to look at. They want us to look at tithe, you know, pattern of giving. They want us to look at attendance weekly and people engaged in ministry. And so when I'm brainstorming with the leaders of both churches, one of the questions or one of the things, so how do we define a, a, a committed or engaged someone that is engaged in ministry in the church how do we define that well at least we said at least that they go to church once or twice a month and and, and it's sad but it's true because if we say oh they gotta go to church every you know every four weeks we're asking for too much because lives are so busy and people got so many engagements, some of the things that they got to do, that really it's 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 inconsiderate of us to think that people are going to church and are going to commit to come to church more than once or twice a month. If you get them once a month, man, you're doing good, right? Especially here in Orlando, where everybody just goes church hopping, you might just see them once a year, which is, and then go to the next fifty one churches in Orlando and visit them all through the year, but. We're talking about the Seventh-day Adventist context. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's fine. But so is, is church attendance, if you're regular church attendance, if you consider yourself a church attendance, is that what God is seeking for in our lives of thankfulness to Him? I want you to return with me to Isaiah. And I just opened up my scripture on this verse. Uh, I mean, again, and, and I wanted to share with you chapter 29, because it seems to me that Jesus is not... A, impressed with big crowds in his ministry as a matter of fact in Luke chapter 8 we find that when Jesus saw the crowds gathering he started speaking in parables so that the majority would not understand him in other words those who fake it the ones who were not really into it the ones who were not committed he didn't care for them to understand what he was talking about he was looking for those who were truly committed but Isaiah twenty nine verse thirteen. You probably know this passage. Then the Lord said, "Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lips' service, lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and the reverence for me consists of tradition learned by r- rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelous with this people, wondrously marvelous, marvelous." And the wisdom of the wise men will perish. And the discernment of the discernment men will be concealed. And he says, woe, woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord. In other words, he's saying, you might be here, but your heart might not be here. So is church attendance something that we can measure our commitment to God? Well, the truth is, it's not. And Jesus is not just looking only for church attendance. Let's talk about giving patterns. Brother Len, you know... <laughs> He mentioned it, bless his heart, he's, since he took on this leadership. You've seen that he's been bringing to us the needs that we have and the budget. But uh, I want to go a little deeper on some of the things that he said on our giving patterns. I've been going through nominating committee in one of the churches, and, and it's during that time that I actually get to see the rosters of the church, and I get to see who gives what once a year. And I know it's not popular. Many people... Don't want the pastor to see or, you know, they think it's private and, or somebody to see your giving patterns. Listen, the truth is that our given patterns reflect our commitment to God. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's true. But we in America and, and, and we in our context here in North America especially, we give and it's okay to give as long as it doesn't inconvenience our comfortable life. As long as I'm able to provide for my things, and as long as I don't have to make a sacrifice, and as long as I give from what I have left, and sometimes not even that, it's okay. That's our given commitment that we have. You remember 1 Chronicles 21-24, and um, I'm just going to read this, you were going to you will refer to them and I'll highlight the main idea because we're going to go through some scriptures here and we might not have the time to read them all. But remember in First Chronicles chapter 21 24, David is going to buy a land and, and well, he's going to make a sacrifice. Actually, he's buying a sacrifice for God and it was given to him. And he said, No, no, wait, that's not what I want to happen. I'm not going to give to the Lord anything that's not going to cost me something, right? So David had this clear in his mind. That if we're going to give to the Lord, it's of sacrifice, that is something that we have to give to the point where we get uncomfortable, where it goes beyond just the comfort level that we have. Luke chapter 21, verse 1 and 4, Jesus is looking at the crowd and he sees people what? Given all these wealthy men and women of Israel, just given of whatever they have left over. And then this old lady comes along with two mites and she gives that and puts it in there. And Jesus says, There she is. She's given all oh, that she had. So when we're talking about giving, and I, I'm, I even venture, I'm going to say this. I know we used to give 10% when it comes to God, and we, 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 the church says 10% to the church as your tithe, and then offering. The truth of the matter is that if you understand, if you're thankful to God, if you understand the sacrifice of Christ, you're not going to get away with the least that you can do to fulfill the requirement, right? You're going to give of who you are and anything that you could do to the point where it's sacrificial to give that we not just conform to do the minimal the least to satisfy God's demands how about Christianity today are we saved you know when when it's talking about salvation our salvation from sin Romans chapter 6 verse 1 and 2 I want you to turn with me to that Because it's interesting to look at Christianity today and and the way we do church most of the time, and we want to be saved from, not really from our sins, if we're honest, we want to be saved from the punishment that we deserve for our sins, but not really from our sins because we go back and we end up doing the same things that we were just saved from because again, what we're seeking God for is for Him to save us from the punishment of death, but not from the things that keep dragging us and messing us up and destroying our lives and bringing misery and conflict and destruction into our lives. Romans 6, 1 through 2. Anybody found it there with me? Because this is what true Christianity looks like. What shall then we say? He says, "We can, shall we continue in seeing that grace may abound? Verse 2. God forbid. Who shall we that are dead to sin, live any longer therein. In other words, if we, have, if we had died to sin, he says, we can't be living in sin anymore. So when we're talking about commitment and salvation from sin, what a, a true Christian, someone who follows the scripture in the New Testament and follows God in that passionate and real way it says i don't want to just be safe from the punishment of sin i want to stop doing sin because of god's grace in my life and so our behavior changes and we make 180 turn around and our lives are different and we stop doing what we're doing and we don't continue to find excuses to continue on doing the things that we love to do that are sinful that we know are directly against what god has for us how about Sharing our faith with others, people around us. The truth of the matter is, is that today, we don't really share much. You know, we want to be I mean, be sensitive to people's different views. And we rarely, rarely share our faith with others. Matthew 10, 32 and 33, I want you to turn with me to this text. And check, listen to what Jesus have to say. Matthew 10, 32 and 33, he says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also, what? Confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And we ask the question, but, you know, Jesus, is he really going to deny us if we deny him? It's here, right? So... If we hide our faith, if we sometimes get, I don't know, a, a little shy of our faith, and we say, oh, but I just don't have the gift of evangelism. It's not about having the gift of evangelism. It's about if you really know and if you live, if you captured by the love of God that He's done in your life, what He has done for you, the true response, going back to the original uh, parable, with the true response is that all of you, you are all in, and you're going to share your faith in any chance you have. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you're going to share your faith. Amen? So, sharing our faith is something that God expects of us. You know, the truth is that a a lot of the times, we Christians continue to compare ourselves to the world, to the secular people, right? And I think that's easy because that makes us feel comfortable and that, you know, It's a good way out to try to continue to grow because, hey, be honest. You guys are in church here. You know, you could be out there. People were, some of you were not partying last night. I don't know where you've been last night, but some of you might have been partying last night. That's okay. You're here. But the truth of the matter is that you're here in church today. And so we look outside and we say, well, you know, we're better than those people that are not in church today. And then we compare ourselves. Oh, we're better than those who go to church on Sunday because they're worshiping the wrong day. And so we compare ourselves to other people because that gives us an easy standard. But the person or what we should be comparing ourselves to is to what? To Jesus Christ, to the scriptures, to what He's said in here, to his his commandments, to what his, his expectations of us, his demands on us. Luke chapter 18, 11 and 12 gives us an insight into that. Why don't we look in there? Luke chapter 18, turn with me and I know we... Going a few scriptures here. Jesus says, The Pharisees stood, right? Two men went to the temple, and the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm now like other people. And he's what? Other people, right? We compare ourselves. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I pray, I pay tithe of all that I get. You know the rest of the story. Because this is what is easy for us to do. It's it's the comfortable thing and really is, is the best thing for us to do if we compare ourselves to those who live a different life, who are not committed to Christ, who lived in a more obvious way away from God. And then just a few other points here that I want to make. In that same Luke chapter 9, verse 57 and 62, I want you to turn with me. To chapter 9 in the, in the Gospel according to Luke. Because our response to God's love and to what He's done for us, again, I believe sometimes, if not most times, is not proportionate to what He's done for us. Or maybe it is proportionate to our understanding and to our experience because we really don't see it, because we really don't experience it, because we really Don't get the magnitude of what he's done or what he's trying to do in your life. But we love Jesus, and we make him a part of our lives. But check that out. We only make him a part of our lives among so many other things that we have, right? It's comfortable to make Jesus a part of our lives. And we even said it, and I've said it, you know, we preach it. God wants you to make him a part of your life. The truth is, the matter, God doesn't just want to be a part of your life. God wants to be your life, period. Amen? It's not just one among the many things that we got to do, you know, among all other responsibilities and all the things that we have. The one who should consume our passion, who should consume our heart is God himself. He should be number one. And if you're there with me, chapter 9, verse 57. What does it say for you? As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you where you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God of men has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me Jesus, uh, to say goodbye to those at home, but Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Does it come across to you that Jesus is seeking for more than just a part of us? And you might be thinking, well, Pastor, I think you're going a little too deep. I think, I think you, you, you've been exaggerate, you know, exaggerating here. Because does God really expect me to center just my life and all be about him? It can't be, I got a husband, I got wife, I got children, I got job, I got career, I got plans for my life. You know, I can't just center my life about God and just weigh on Him and just make Him the center of everything I do. And that any plans that I have, and if I marry anyone, or if I have children or don't, or if I live and if I buy a house or buy a car, I can't have God deciding that for me. And then we go into rational thinking and say, well, God has given us this rational mind and rational thought. We make decisions based on God. Now, listen, you and I are, are, are could be honest with ourselves, and is everything that we're doing and everything that we do, does it reflect God at the center of your life, or is he only one more part of what you do? I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life. I'm just pointing here, and I'm talking to myself here, by the way, that This is how we relate to God so many times. And we think that he's okay with that. We think that we've done enough, that we're godly enough, that we're thankful enough. But, you know, as we look at the scripture, and as we read the lives and and the ministry of Jesus, and we look at the New Testament, and his expectations go deeper and higher than we ever thought, and sometimes we think, I cannot do that alone. That's unreal what God has expecting of me, we could talk about how God expects us to love other people, right? I mean, and, and you could look this one up, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 47. You know, talking about loving God and loving others, right? We think and we say, and, and even this week I was conversing in, in a meeting, conversation, and, and somebody brings up the question. He said, well, I'm praying for those people out there, at the terrorists, that is it wrong? This person says, "Is it wrong?" And he, and this and he thinks that he's bringing this deep question, and he's trying to philosophize. He said, "Is it wrong if I pray that the Lord will kill all those terrorists that are killing people?" You know what happened today? There's darkness in in Paris with everything that happened, and not only there, but in Africa and other parts of the world, terrorists everywhere. And so the Christian response is, those who are conventional Christians, those who are really the tradition, the Christians who are normal Christians, will respond and say, oh, I could love, I could pray for my enemies that God will destroy them. But what does Jesus say? Matthew 5, he says, you've heard, I said, love your, but he said that love those who love you, right? But he says, I tell you, love your enemies and praise for those who persecute you. And you're thinking, well, he can't really mean that, does he? Because I tell you what it is, I think part of the part of the issue that, that's happening to us is that we really don't take scripture at face value. He means what he says. If he says that we must love our enemies, it's true oh, but pastor, come on, be honest, we're humans, you know, we can't love our enemies, that's why he said, pray for those who persecute you, because out of your own heart, the human response is, we want to preserve ourselves, we want to retaliate, we want to take vengeance right and friends right away went out there and killed i don't know how many people bombing all that place out because retaliation that's the human response but jesus says this is not what we must do he says if you follow jesus if you really in connection with him he says your response to this hatred to this persecution to terrorism to this fear is love and prayer and dependence on god and we must rise above all this craziness that's going on around our world but it doesn't happen unless you and I begin to take the word of God seriously and we don't have to go down to friends we got to talk about your home what's happening in your home because you're here fine right and some of us are here great and we look nice and we dress fine as soon as we go back home we start arguing with each other and fighting with our wives and our our, our children and we become this augers and you know these people and I more than once I know the Lord's got to convict me and stop me there and say hey Alex you know you you reacting in the human way stop there even with my children because I know I finally figured out my children (laughs) were given to me so God will develop my character (laughs) and point out my faults. And I think they're gone by now, so that's good to say. (laughs) They're going somewhere. They stepped out. Um, Don't tell him that, please. It's it's true. (laughs) But, you know, and and you know, you remember those days. Um, You know, we, we think that it's enough. We're thankful. We're thankful enough. We're godly enough. The truth of the matter is, is that if we look at our lives and we begin to compare ourselves, again, stop comparing ourselves with each other because that's another beautiful thing that we do and it's easy to do. We start comparing with each other, right? (laughs) Oh, I could, oh man, if I compare myself with Sister Frances, you know, (laughs) she's there going like, hey, listen, Jesus asked for everything. But we try to give him less than that. Let's be honest. In the scripture, there's no call to be a half-hearted Christian, a lukewarm Christian. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn with me to, as we wrap up Revelation chapter 3. There's so much more that we can say, but I'm telling you, for myself, this week has been one of those of introspective introspecting, looking at my life, and my commitment level to Christ, and what I'm doing, and is my heart godly enough thankful? Am I, is my heart thankful enough for what God has done? Or am I just given enough so that I can fulfill the requirements, or maybe look godly enough, look the part, but he wants it all. He wants it all. And By the way, I hope nobody gets offended, but We might end up in a revelation here that you may have. I said Revelation chapter 3, right? You know that in there, revelation begins with the message to the churches. And the angel of the Lord, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, he said, Right, the man, the faithful one and true, verse 14 of chapter 3. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. This is what he says to us today. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. But he says, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not. Know what you are—wretched and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You know, I don't know about you, but I—I I thought this for the longest time. I thought that this text talked about—it was talking to Christians, right? And it is to the church, right? To us. But it's a lukewarm Christian, even a possibility, because what he's saying is that if we look warm. What will he do? And I, looking back to the Greek of this word, it actually means almost like vomiting. Ow, like, oh, nothing came out. <laughs> it was almost, it, It's this disgusted, like. Oh. So we cannot be. That means that we're not really true Christians, if he feels that about us. So even though it's for the church, the moment that we, are, that we live this way, we're no Christians no longer. Because true Christians are those that are 100% followers of Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong, I think we all have a space to grow. Amen? And God is working with each one of us. But what I'm getting at today is that perhaps perhaps our commitment level needs to be deeper. Perhaps that we're looking at at the enough part when he's looking for more from our lives. So as you go through this season and as you begin this special time where everybody seems to be thinking and thinking of God, I pray that he will help us do an inventory of our lives, of our activities, the things that we hold dear, the things that we are living for, the goals that we may have, the plans that we have. And have we really surrendered hundred percent? Or is he expecting more? Because if we go back to Matthew thirty-three, I mean, yeah, Matthew thirteen, verse thirty-three. This man found. He went, and he didn't even was looking for this special treasure, right? He buys, and, and and he realized that it's there, and it's the most precious thing he finds. And he goes back, and what does he do? He burns it again because he knows it's not his. He doesn't deserve it. He needs to purchase it. By the way, it's interesting because he feels, well, that's, we're not going to go there. But, but he, goes, he goes and sells all that he has. and comes back. Because he understood the price. He understood the worth, what he's found. And this is a proper response to God's grace and God's love in our lives. As a matter of fact, it's the only proper way to respond to God. If we're not feeling this, if we're not doing this, then we really have not understood the treasure that we found. And Perhaps that may be the issue. When We find such a lukewarm church and such a, just what a hard time to even try to follow God in these days. Because we just don't really understand. We really have not committed hundred percent may God lead you through this next few days in your life and may your commitment and your desire for him grow in ways that you couldn't even imagine before may your life be so committed to him that everyone will know the love and the treasure that you have found